0: Today's reading is from Philippians chapter 3. We'll start at verse 17 and go through to chapter 4, verse 13. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of these who live according to the pattern we gave you. For us, for I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lonely bodies, that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you who I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Eudelia Udob- and I plead with Sintich to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, And I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learnt to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength.
1: Well, we're going to be, uh, continuing, uh, through Philippians just, uh, today. Uh, as Jamie already mentioned, next week we'll be, uh, touching on Vision Sunday and so we'll be thinking about our, uh, the life of our church and moving forward, uh, this year. Uh, so yeah, it's just, uh, Last week and this week is just in Philippians because oh, that's what I've been <laughs> reflecting on uh, recently and thought uh, it would be great to uh, just reflect a little bit more for us in these couple of weeks. And after that, after Vision Sunday, we'll be kicking back into our series in Genesis. Uh, so why don't I pray and ask God that we would be encouraged and understand his word. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thanks so much for the Bible, thank you for Philippians, thank you for your Apostle Paul, our Apostle, the Apostle to the, the non-Jews, to us Gentiles, and we thank you that uh, your Holy Spirit inspired him to pen these words, and so that we have them now. We ask that the same Holy Spirit, who dwells in all of us, who trust in Christ, would illuminate our, illuminate our hearts and our minds, such that we might be encouraged and built up in our faith, and equipped to love and serve you more and more, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I mentioned this uh, a few years ago. There's, there's a thing called seasonal affective disorder, uh, or SAD for short. Uh, it's actually a recognised type of depression that comes and goes in seasonal patterns. Uh, it's, a, it's a real thing. Uh, it's normally thought to affect people during the winter season, uh, but there's actually a summertime version as well particularly if you're not a big fan of long, hot, lazy days, uh, like yesterday and last night. Um, If you're restless and agitated and having trouble sleeping and eating, maybe losing weight, maybe even struggling with anxiety and anger, it might be that you've got a case of the summertime blues. Or at least the summertime blues might be exacerbating something else that you're already struggling with, like the thought of getting back into the whole school cycle again. Uh, or back into the grind of another year at work or in home life. Now, while there's some good things that we can do to counter the summertime blues, the best thing to do as Christians uh, is to go to God's Word, to go to the Bible. And I reckon this next bit in Philippians might just hit the nail on the head for us because life's hard enough without summertime blues adding to it, particularly uh, when relationships maybe are a little bit of a struggle when things aren't good there. I mean, let's face it, there's always relational difficulties out there because we're all sinful, right? So we're going to tread, be treading on each other's toes, particularly at church because God calls us from all many different walks of life and life stages, often with very little in common except our faith in Jesus. And if your feet are cold already, it's heaps easier just to jump ship and look for another group to identify with. Uh, like your sports team or a social club or the LGBTQAI plus community or your school PNC or some online chat group or a social or political group. But, but there's actually good reason to stick it out with Jesus and his people, uh, to make them your go-to for who you identify with, especially when things are hard with them. And because unlike anything or anyone else, as Paul says here in the letter to the Philippians, there's more than a little bit of peace with Jesus. Throughout this letter of uh, Philippians, Paul mentions uh, a bunch of things that uh, could get us down and anxious as believers. But here in this final chapter, it seems that a key downer is the relational friction. Uh, Paul calls out a couple of believers, Judea and Syntyche, uh, to, to get on, and he uh, asks others to help them out, sort out whatever the issue is between them. And he does this... Just before he tells us all of us all believers not to be anxious in verse six it 's likely the kind of anxiety then that paul 's kind of got front of mind is relational friction uh, it 's not only it 's not the only thing of course I mean he says not to be anxious about anything, uh, but as Paul looks to encourage the anxious those who have worries in this passage he does so firstly by Talking about those who are relying on Jesus as citizens of heaven. Uh, So that's where we're going to be, what we're going to be looking at. Uh, Firstly, citizens of heaven, which secondly gives uh, people, the citizens of heaven, access to a bunch of heavenly tools to draw on uh, in the face of worries and uh, possibly and potentially and most likely relational worries and troubles. So that's where we're going. Looking at this passage, citizens of heaven uh, equipped with heavenly tools. So, first up, citizens of heaven. Because as Paul says from verse uh, 18 of chapter 3, unlike those who don't care for Jesus, who don't care that he died on that cross for them, who, those who worship their appetites, you know, their God is their stomach, uh, and who glory in what is plastic, pathetic and violent, you know, the, the, their glory is in their shame, those who have their minds set on earthly things and are destined for destruction because of it, unlike them, if we're relying on Jesus and striving to live for him, as we touched a little bit on last week, then we're actually citizens of heaven. And that means we're destined for a better body. So from verse 20 we read, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now, at the time, when Paul was writing this, uh, the believers were citizens of Rome. The Roman emperor was worshipped as a saviour. They enjoyed the uh, the famous Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Uh, That is the order and the stability and culture of the Roman Empire. And so for Paul to say these believers' citizenship is somewhere else, not in Rome, and that there's another saviour, not the Roman Emperor, would have been simultaneously sounded treasonous and revolutionary, because it's a challenge to the whole project of the Peace of Rome. It's interesting that the prominence of the concept of the the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, has led historians to coin variants on the term to describe other systems of relative peace in the world, like the Pax Americana, or Pax Britannia. Britannica, or the Pax uh, Islamica. And in a lot of ways, all the systems of the world are an attempt at one type of peace or another. They're, They're all a community trying to secure its place in the world, either by military, political, or social, or cultural pressure and might. And we generally tend to identify with one community more than the others. There's a particular place and a particular people where we feel more at home. But as believers... We're actually displaced persons. Our citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. That's home with Jesus under the rule of God, the the Pax Deus, (laughs) uh, the peace of God. But as such, to be called a citizen of heaven uh, and to look to a saviour from there is just as treasonous and revolutionary today. And you'll have people whispering under their breath, suspicious of why you don't join in with them in worshipping their uh, earthly saviours, sex, gossip, booze, money, good times, work, education, social action or sport. But that's to be expected. Uh, And it can be a bit of a downer though. And might make you sad and anxious. But here's the thing, the promise of peace in this world is pathetic. The promise of peace in this world, on earthly things, is pathetic. There's nothing that will last. Nothing. And so the suffering that comes along with not being a citizen of the world, it's got a shelf life too, right? Because when Jesus finally returns, he's going to transform our lowly bodies forever, so that they'll be like his glorious body. Now, Jesus' glorious body, after he rose from the dead, it was very physical, People touched him, he ate a fish in front of them, and, and we're told our bodies will be transformed to be like his. Physical, but ever-living. No decay, no, so, no suffering, and, and no death. Can you imagine that? Imagine that, waking up and having no aches, no pains, no serotonin imbalance, <laughs> only five senses firing at optimum levels all the time. We might even be able to just appear in a room, like Jesus did. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> Who knows? Whatever it is, it'll be glorious. Pain-free. On Wednesday, it was hot and sunny. And uh, I went to the beach in a long-sleeved black rashie. It was boiling. And walking to the beach, I felt like I was frying. Uh, and so when I finally got to run into the ocean and dive into 24 degrees perfect water temperature... It was the most wonderful feeling. Everything felt gloriously right. (laughs) Right From the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. It was just wonderful. But even that experience will be lame compared to what Jesus has in store for us in our resurrected bodies. So when we're feeling down or distressed at any point here and now, remember you're a citizen of heaven and Jesus is going to give you a glorious, ever-living body. That's who you are, so that's where you're going, and that's what you're getting. And so that's why it's worth sticking with Jesus now, particularly when things are hard. Chapter 4, we read, Therefore, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Paul's saying if you lose your job, Remember, that's not who you are. You're not an employee. Your destiny is not to climb the professional ladder and make bigger, better bucks. You're a citizen of heaven, and Jesus will give you a glorious body to be with him forever. So it's worth standing firm in him now, in Jesus. When you're stressed out of your mind because bad things just keep happening, remember, that's not who you are. You're not some cursed neurotic You don't get your identity from what's not working in your brain and constant bad luck. You're a citizen of heaven and Jesus will give you a glorious body to be with you forever. So it's worth sticking with him now. When you've screwed up and hurt people, again, remember that's not who you are. You're not defined by your sin. You're a citizen of heaven And Jesus is going to give you a glorious body to be with him forever. So it's worth standing firm in him, in Jesus now. You are not what you do or don't do. You are not the success of your school marks or your uni marks. You're not the success of your parenting or grandparenting or not. You're not the success of your love life or not. These things, while good, are earthly things and to define yourself by them is to set yourself up for disappointment at the very least because their glory will fade. You're a citizen of heaven where your glorious resurrection body, Jesus will give you to live with him in glory forever that will never fade, perish or spoil. And it's with this great hope in mind of who we are, and where we're going as a citizen of heaven, that Paul then shows us and gives us some tools. Four heavenly tools that help us stand firm in Jesus while we wait. Tools that can relieve us, particularly uh, when we're sad and anxious. And the first one is to rejoice. Uh, Verse 4 he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I, I will say it again, rejoice. No matter what's going on, stressing it out, us out, bringing us down, confusing us, wearing us, grinding us down. Paul says, be defiant and rejoice in Jesus. Uh, back in the day when I was young and uh, anti-establishment and angry, uh, I found a song that resonated uh, with me, Killing in the Name by Rage Against the Machine. Uh, I'd drive around the burbs of Brisbane in my grandad's uh, blue laser, so Gangster. Um, listening to that song on my Walkman, so so nobody else could hear it, (laughs) and quietly enjoying the screaming protest of that song against the man and every other authority. It was defiant, and I loved it. And I reckon to rejoice in Jesus is to do something similar. It's the revolutionary war cry for every treasonous citizen of heaven. It's to rail against the evil empire of the world and the flesh and the devil as they work their influence on those in the Lord to make us sad and anxious. We can defiantly cry, REJOICE! Now it's hard to believe someone who's always on the up, you know, who is always answering the question, how's life? Fantastic! Couldn't be better! Everything's awesome! So the idea of rejoicing then when you feel like that's Little there's little in your life to rejoice about, uh, that can seem a little bit fake. But except here, Paul's saying rejoice in the Lord. Not in your life, but in Jesus' life, in what he's done, who he is. The simple fact is, no matter how sad or discouraged or down you might feel, Jesus died over 2,000 years ago on a Roman cross and rose from the dead three days later to demonstrate that he died to save you from your sin. How you feel about that, on one level, is irrelevant. It's not going to change the fact that he did and that you can show joy in that. Like you can acknowledge a painting is beautiful. Even if you don't have the feels for it at the the time, it's still legitimate to say it's beautiful. And here's where the genius, I think, of doing church together can be seen. Because it's a whole lot easier to to, joyce, to rejoice, to show joy, to get into, at least, trying to get into the feel of the truth of Jesus and what he's done when you're together, singing particularly, together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, than when you're not. I don't think it's any accident that the Bible tells us in other places, many other places, that we're... We're told to sing together of the Lord Jesus from our hearts and that part of the reason is to admonish one another, that is to warn each other against straying from the truth. Could it be that it's precisely as we sing together that we do this, that we stop sadness or anxiety from taking us away from the truth? So in your sadness and anxiety, sing about Jesus. Sing with God's people about Jesus. Get to church, maybe just to sing. Maybe even sing as growth groups kick on back uh, for this year. Sing in your growth groups. Because this is God's gift to us to help us to rejoice in the Lord at all times, but especially maybe in our summer blues. Because of who we are and what's waiting for us while we wait for Jesus, particularly in our sadness and our worry, God's tool is to rejoice. Another tool is to be gentle. I know the metal instrument isn't um, that gentle looking, but you know, let's just run with it, okay? Uh, <laughs> verse five, Paul says this: "Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near." Now, the idea of gentleness here is to be content, uh, even when treated unfairly. Something that he talks about later on in this passage. It's to regard others more important than ourselves. It's to put the interests of others over our own, knowing the Lord Jesus has got our interests more than covered in the future with him, and we know that, don't we? To be concerned about being treated fairly, more than the glory waiting for us in Jesus, will mean we'll actually struggle to be gentle. Instead, we can expect more anxiety, more sadness. So it's actually better for us to be gentle. It's the ultimate life hack to be gentle, especially with those who've hurt us, and to do so uh, so that it's obvious, so that it's evident to all. Not like you're in a competition, you know, trying to out-gentle others. Haha, I was more gentle than you today. <laughs> but to, to let your decision to, to gen, gen, be gentle actually dribble into how you behave so that it's evident to all. Yeah, make a choice. Make a choice. When you want to let loose on someone who's behaving like a jerk, to think first, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they're having a bad life. And then treat them like they're wounded, not wicked. Along with rejoicing, this is a gift, a heavenly tool, to relieve the summer blues, gentleness. Because we're citizens of heaven, while we wait for glory with Jesus, let's use those tools. Rejoice. Be gentle. And then importantly, pray. Uh, Verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer is God's answer to anxiety. But not necessarily to take the anxiety or the worry away. The peace of God here uh, is not some inner sense of well-being that we should expect when we pray. You know, like prayer will make you feel instantly peaceful inside. The peace there that Paul is talking about is the peace that God has within himself. See, God doesn't worry. He's never anxious. He knows the end from the beginning. Everything happens according to his will. He's in total control. Unlike every single one of us, he's in total control. He's totally at peace. And it's in this, the peace that God has within himself, his eternal, and I love this word for God, unflappableness, uh, his calm in the face of our chaos, this is what will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. God in his eternal and unflappable calm is what guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So no matter how stormy our inner life gets, as we pray about it, as we bring our worries and our sadness before him, as we lay bare our utter need for him as, and our reliance upon him and our brokenness and our doubts and our troubles and our failings, he's not going to be rattled. He's not going to be worried. He's not going to shift in his opinion of us. He's not going to go, whoa, I didn't know that about you. Gee, I might have to change my thoughts about you now. He's not going to change his nature, his commitment to us or his love for us in Jesus. No matter what we tell him, And it's in this that he promises to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That is, our worries and our anxieties as we bring them to God in prayer. This will only cement our relationship with him, the one that he's established with us. A relationship he initiated and he will never renege on because he never changes. He can't change. He is eternally unflappable. That's his nature. He can't be anything other than eternally unflappable in his disposition towards those of us in Jesus. And that's why the famous preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he once said, He, God, will keep you absolutely safe from those things that are keeping you awake and preventing your sleep." As we let our worries and sadness lead us to prayer... There's no guarantee those worries will go away, but there's the promise whatever is causing those worries will never take us away from God and never take us away from his love for us in Jesus. Whatever it might be, persecution, suffering, our own sinful stupidness, maybe the sin of others against us. And in this, in a growing knowledge of the absolute safety of God's love for us in Jesus, it's not unreasonable that we'll probably worry less. Because... We're citizens of heaven while we wait for Jesus, particularly in our sadness and our worry. God's given us heavenly tools to use. Rejoice, be gentle and pray. And then finally, obey. As Paul says from uh, verse 8, to think about whatever is excellent and praiseworthy. Yeah, that is what conforms to the gospel, the good news of Jesus that Paul preached. And then to put it into practice, as Paul did. Paul is actually saying, in your thinking and in your behaviour, follow me as I follow Christ. Basically, obey Jesus. Now, there's no real problem, I don't think, for most of us, knowing what Jesus wants us to do. We touched a little bit on that last week, with the big command of Jesus being love your neighbour as yourself, right? We know that. Pretty easy to know it. We know what Jesus wants of us. If we thought about, you know, love your neighbour as yourself for at least two seconds, you'd probably be able to do something that looks like loving your neighbour. The problem is not knowing, not not knowing, generally though, is it? It's actually doing it. (laughs) But here, Paul's saying it's in the doing that the God of peace will be with us. The peace here is a reference to the peace that Jesus brings. That is the peace that comes with being in a good relationship with God. The peace that brings good order and harmony to things. To say that the God of peace will be with you then is to say he'll bring good order and harmony. That's good news when there's tension and strife in your life. Tension between people and worries about a bunch of stuff. As we do the gospel together and as we tell the truth and as we try hard to be above board, as we enjoy what's beautiful in the gospel together, we can expect the God of peace to work his way in the hearts and minds of his people to bring peace where there's friction, peace where there's worry, peace where there's sadness. As the old song goes, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Because we're citizens of heaven, while we wait for Jesus, particularly in our sadness and our worries, let's use the heavenly tools that God's given us. Help us on the way. Rejoice. Be gentle. Pray. And obey. In Jesus, we're citizens of heaven. And as citizens citizens of heaven, we've got glorious bodies waiting for us with Jesus forever, where there's no sadness, no anxiety, no worry. Only peace, perfect peace, inside and out. And that's what's waiting for us. To be at peace with God, the God of peace, in the place of peace. But now it's like we're, we're at an airport, you know, waiting for our flight home. And even though the airport chairs are uncomfortable and the coffee is nasty and it feels like you've been waiting forever, it's not going to be forever. So we can rejoice. And we can be gentle with those who don't know where they're going or who are on the same flight as us. We can put up with their rude and even hurtful behaviour for a bit because soon we'll be home. And those things will be forgotten in the blissful mists of eternity. We can even ring home and leave a message telling God how much we love him for, for Jesus, how we're looking forward to seeing him and how stressed out we are with this or that, particularly and perhaps with uh, his family members who we're fighting with, knowing that he'll listen and then tell us how to love them and point us to other family members like the Apostle Paul, who's good at it so that we might patch things up and make it more pleasant while we wait to go home. So with that in mind, I'm going to pray that that would be the case for us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much that as we trust in the Lord Jesus, trust in his death and resurrection, not only for the forgiveness of our sins, but to be made right with you in the hope of being in a good and eternal relationship with you, with the wonderful hope of resurrected glory with you, where there will be no suffering or pain. Grant us the wherewithal to take hold of and use the tools that you have given us as citizens of heaven. Use those heavenly tools that we might rejoice. Be gentle. Pray, particularly in our worries and about them. And obey. Thank you for the grace that you have given us in Christ and by your word. Please help us to trust and obey and to take on board your word and live a life that is pleasing to you while we wait for that glorious eternity with Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.